Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to One on One, a Door County Pulse interview series. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I have two cool guests here this week uh, doing something that I'm actually pretty excited about. We've been talking about uh, digging into the education side of things with the newspaper quite a bit over the last month or two. And uh, I I think that this is the next arm of it. I've really wanted to try to actually talk to some students. And uh, today we have two students from Gibraltar uh, here in the studio. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Solomon Lindenberg. Uh, I'm a senior at Gibraltar, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Viking Voice. And I'm Marguerite Packard. I'm also a senior, and I am the news editor at The Viking Voice. Tell me uh, a little bit about The Viking Voice. This is the the school newspaper, correct? Yep, so we are on our um, 12th volume, so we've been going since 2008. Uh, I've been writing and uh, doing some editing since I was a freshman. Our kind of uh, mission statement is to provide a voice and a news forum for all the students of Gibraltar. Yeah, so we do an issue every month, and we try to incorporate news stories about Gibraltar as well as uh, news stories around the world that's uh, accessible for the students of Gibraltar because uh, news can sometimes be intimidating. Yeah, I think what you just said about news can be intimidating. It's really important to get students involved in reading news and understanding what's going on in the world because I feel that these days a lot of students feel that it's too stressful or don't want to pay attention to the news and it's really important to understand what's happening in our world and what we can do to change or better our environment. I didn't even think about the other side of stuff, like when you're not telling Gibraltar specific stories, but you're just writing other things as well. I guess that's maybe something that we did in my school paper when I was in high school, but I guess I didn't really pay as much attention to it as I probably should have. Uh, what what got you guys interested in writing for the paper? Well, I think we're both interested in stuff like we're both into politics and news and history and stuff like that. So it's the cool thing about journalism and publication is you can kind of combine every subject that you're interested in and you can report or express an opinion about anything. So that's what's, that's what I really like about it. It's really accessible and it can kind of be open to anyone. And, uh, I guess I kind of got interested because, uh, one of my favorite teachers, Mr. Holdman was the advisor for many years. So he kind of pushed me into it and, uh, I found that I really like writing. It's really cool to, um, be a part of something that that actually benefits uh, the school and the community. Yeah, definitely it is a passion for politics. I've been interested in creative writing almost my entire life since I can remember. But it is Mr. Holdman, our former teacher, who really pushed me to become interested in journalism. And then also, as I said before, politics, not only world politics, but also the local politics of our school is interesting to think about and talk about. And I think it's really important to do that. How many issues do you guys publish per year? So we do eight and then we have our ninth issue, which comes out in June and it's kind of our graduation issue. Are you releasing on a monthly schedule? Yes, monthly. 
So walk me through what the what the publication schedule is like. Uh, how do you take an issue from beginning to end? Basically, we'll have a pitch editorial meeting at the beginning of the month, usually the first or second week. And then it's just kind of like every section is kind of goes on their own. And then uh, we'll come back together towards the middle and end of the month to put everything together, see how the articles turned out, what kind of path they went towards. Then, you know, we'll go into putting ads in the paper and making sure, you know, we have the funding and the layout and then stuff like that. Yeah, one of the things, the wonderful things about the paper also is that not only am I the news editor, not only is someone an editor or a writer, but they're also involved in almost the entire paper. So from selling ads to just collaborating with others, it's kind of an overall experience of what it's like not only to put out a paper, but also to collaborate and to work well with your peers. Right. Everybody gets the opportunity to kind of see the whole process through from beginning to end. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. in such a small community, we all have connections. So we're all able to like, you know, this person's parents owns a business. They can um, buy an ad for the paper and then their son or daughter will bring a paper home and they can see their ad. So it's it's really cool to uh, do a newspaper in such a small community, which you guys, I'm sure, are aware of. And how big is the team working on the newspaper? So I think we have 17 or 18 people total. Everyone everyone has their own roles. We have a layout staff, we have a photographer, and then we have a writing staff, and we have featured columnists, as well as uh, the section editors. So everyone has their own role, but uh, the roles, they all overlap. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the stories that you guys have written, both for the school and, you know, for the community. Uh, but give me kind of an overview of what a normal issue of the paper might look like in terms of the content. We try to mix a lot of humorous stuff and satire with serious stuff. And, and so it blends together smoothly and there's not too much of a drastic change. We have a news section which is bigger than it has been in the past. Um, With the renovations, there's a lot of news uh, going on at Gibraltar. We have entertainment and culture, uh, sports and lifestyle, and then a forums and opinions section, which I, it it happened in the past, but then I've uh, re-implemented it this year. And and it's really been a hit. There's a lot of people wanting to write op-eds. And then we have a student life section. So there's, there's just kind of something for everyone. Our editors are really interested in the stuff that they are working on for their sections. We just try to aim our content to the students of Gibraltar, what they want to read. I mean, that seems like the, right. the most direct approach is to look at your audience and then deliver the content that they're going to want to partake in. And I think when you're writing for a school paper, you have people who, are, who can be very vocal about that right away. Because what is going to make a student pick up a newspaper? It's got to be content that they're going to be excited about. I think one of the things that really drives the editors and the staff to work, too, is like Solomon said, we're all very passionate about our subjects. And that carries through, I feel, especially this year. We've got a great staff and we all care a lot about putting this paper out and about creating this forum for students at Gibraltar. I think it's a wonderful thing that we have the ability to do that. Well, why don't we take a break, and then when we come back, I want to talk to you guys about some of the stories that you've been working on maybe this year, some of your favorite stories that you've written in the past. Uh, and we'll dig a little bit into some of the stuff that you guys have written about the school, but then also about the, the broader community. It was great. Thank you. 
They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So uh, tell me a little bit about some of the stories that you guys are writing for this current issue or maybe that you uh, you have an issue coming out this week, right? Yeah, this Friday. Tell me about some of the stories that you guys are focused on for this month. So one of the stories that we're covering um, is about the recent testing for lead in Gibraltar's waters and the levels that came back, uh, the elevated levels. And I interviewed Mrs. Van Meer, our superintendent, about just some concerns that the student body might have and the actions that uh, the administration is going to take. I think it's one of those things that the student body is obviously very curious to learn more about, so I thought it would be a wonderful article for this month. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what you learned from that. I learned a lot about the process of what the school does when they encounter an issue like this. What happened was there were 10 areas tested for lead in the school. And three of those areas came back above 15 micrograms of lead per liter of water, which is not acceptable. So the administration did let the student body know and put Culligan water in the hallways, turned off our taps so that we would not be drinking the lead water. So I interviewed Mrs. Van Meer about just what was going to happen. And as of when I interviewed her, they had not identified the source of the lead. So right now what they're then what they were focused on was just finding where that was, identifying the source, and then thinking of a possible solution to fix that. Interesting. Uh, so this will be an ongoing investigation as, as the month drags on. It will be, and I believe that they went um, and retested some new sources to try and find out a little bit more, and the results of those are coming back soon. So there may be some movement uh, in next month's issue on, is this something that you plan on following through to the end and seeing how it resolves? I do plan on following through with next month's issue, talking about the results of the tests, just talking about what's going to happen if there's, if there is really an issue that needs, something needs to be fixed or addressed, or if life can kind of go on normally, but we'll see. Interesting. In addition, we're going to kind of also aim our, um, our article for this month kind of towards um, how lead testing is conducted and if it's like an effective form of testing um, because I think it's nine out of ten sites have to be below the legal level. So like that one site is still, it could pose problems, you know. Right. You can have nine totally acceptable and then one is just pure lead. Right. And it still yes. come back. Which it seems maybe like a flaw in the testing because there's still that source of lead, even you, if the other sites are in compliance. You can, of course, cherry pick what sites you're going to use. You know, you could be choosing 10 sites that are all coming from the same pipeline, you know. Right. So Interesting. 
And the, and the thing about having a student newspaper is, is students really don't have another news source. You don't know what's going on in the school. Like, I remember a few weeks ago when we were, we were first introduced to this issue, our homeroom teacher just got a brief email that said, we are looking into potential dangers of lead in the water and, you know, Culligan stations will be inserted in the hallways. And we're just kind of like, what? You know, yeah, the Viking voice is there to give students, you know, background knowledge. Like, of course, they're going to be curious. Why is there lead in the water? Is, there, is it going to affect me? Is it going to affect, you know, loved ones? And Right. And it does seem that, like, relaying information to the students is really on a need-to-know basis. Like, it's very vague about what actually goes on. I, I think lead in the water is maybe a little bit more, like, that's something that I feel like everybody needs to know. Right. And last month, a few students were hospitalized for exposure to carbon monoxide. So we had a couple evacuations. Students are just like, oh, there's a, apparently carbon monoxide in the air and we're outside now. Right. So, well, and, and people will exaggerate if they don't know the whole story. Right. So it's like, hey, did you know that Jimmy, Jimmy is my high school <laughs> student named, I was going to say Jim, but then I was like, I don't know any high schooler's named Jim. Uh, <laughs> did you know that Jimmy uh, was gone from school for three days? Yeah, it's because he's dead. And it's like, oh no, he's not dead. He's just on vacation. And it's like, oh, right. well, everybody's talking about how he's dead. I feel like the primary, almost the primary purpose of the Viking voice is to be that in-between between the administration and the student body and create a channel of communication because the average student doesn't get the chance to speak to the superintendent one-on-one -on -one and have her explain what's going on. So we have the power to do that. We can let people know what's really happening in the school. Right. Solomon, you also mentioned that you uh, wrote about the uh, e-learning uh, conversations that have been going on at Gibraltar. And that's something that Miles and I actually talked about, I believe, last week on the podcast. So I'm interested to hear your take on it, uh, both from what you've learned and, you know, as, as a student, what your perspectives on this is. Right. So I did a lot, an interview with uh, Dr. Metner, the principal of Gibraltar, and I also conducted a survey of the student body. Just because the Viking Voice kind of saw, among many problems with these virtual learning days, students really don't have access to internet here in Door County, just because the, the distribution of, of um, where everyone is living and, you know, we just kind of assume that everyone is able to, like, do schoolwork at home and they're really not able to. So I just kind of introduced this article about how uh, virtual learning days are going to be introduced to combat loss instruction time. We lost a week of school last year. So the administration and the school board were just tasked with trying to make up for this lost time. So essentially, the virtual learning days will occur on Google Classroom. Uh, they're kind of um, work in increments of 30 minutes, 30 minutes a class, so like a total of four hours um, on a snow day. Gibraltar plans to do a test day coming up towards the end of the month. And the survey I conducted was just basically about uh, internet access at Gibraltar, how many students do have internet access. And approximately 90% of students uh, have internet access, but 70% say that poor internet connection has impaired their ability to accomplish schoolwork. Right. And that, that seems to be a common theme because, like, I have internet access at my home. I would not right. call it adequate by any means. Um, and I, I'd assume that most people are on that same thing. And I'm lucky to have, you know, wired internet. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming a, a huge like chunk of the student body is working off of satellite. And if you've got, you know, data caps, if you're going to be streaming video for four hours to do one of these e-learning things, that's going to eat away at your data cap pretty quickly. Right. You might be able to do one in a month, but if there's two, 
that cap's going to drop pretty right. quickly. Students were asked to rate the reliability of their internet connection on a scale of one to five. The average score was under three. So I just feel like objectively it's going to be a problem and I don't feel like it's going to be addressed effectively, but we will see. In addition, I also asked if students would prefer participating in virtual learning days or participating in additional days in the summer. And 85% actually said they would rather uh, come extra days in the summer. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder how that shakes out in terms of money and paying teachers and stuff like that to come back. Because one of the things that Miles and I talked about, my question was, why would you have to make up days at the end of the year anyway? And it's because uh, you have to have a certain number of instructional days as required by law. So you have to make those days up in some way. But then it's like you're paying teachers on the days that on, you're paying teachers on snow days. To bring them in at the end, you still have to pay them. So you're paying them for additional days that, you know, even though they, they didn't work on those stone days. So you have to find the funds to be able to bring in, you know, staff, faculty, and teachers to actually do those extra days at the end. The thing is, actually, we're way over our number of minutes for required time. The The reason why it's being implemented, and a lot of people aren't, aren't uh, aware of this, it's actually just to create a, a continuity of instruction time. You miss a few days of school and whatever you learned the, the days prior, it's it's gone, you know. Dr. Metner was quoted saying, um, the lack of continuity has affected AP scores in the previous years. Just that just that the continuity in learning is much more effective. So it's not necessarily the the number of education hours is the concern with these yeah. snow days. It's the quality of the education. Yeah, we overall. even greatly exceeded it last year in, in a awful snow year. Yeah. How many snow days did you guys have last year? Uh, I'm not sure the exact number. I just recall that we had a whole week off. Yeah, I thought it was double digits for sure. Yeah, yes, definitely. I also think it's really important to take into account um, the mental health aspect of this, uh, this subject that take into account how snow days are traditionally a day where students can unwind and enjoy being kids, especially in elementary school. So it's interesting to take take on that viewpoint as well. How is this going to affect our morale as students and how is this going to affect our mental health? Now, I think that that's taking into consideration that like if it's a snow day, you're going to be like, woo, and you're going to go play out in the snow and not do what I did, which was just, you know, stay in bed and play video <laughs> games all day. Uh, so I, I think that there's a, a matter of perspective there. Yeah. Uh, any other stories that you guys have been working on this year or last year, your time with the paper, uh, that were highlights for you? A story that sticks out to me last year, and it was it was just kind of about how many students and teachers and faculty at Gibraltar drove Pontiacs. Nice. <laughs> so, so we just kind of... Hang on, before you tell me any data, I'm just going to take a guess. Uh, I think it would be weird if it was more than 25%. <laughs> I don't, I don't have stats. Okay, because uh, I thought you were going to be like, it's 60% of faculty <laughs> drive no. Pontiacs, and I would have been like, that is wild. Yeah, we just actually, we called the article, Are Pontiacs Really That Great? We asked three Pontiac enthusiasts or something, and uh, we got three perspectives uh, from three Pontiac drivers, uh, one being faculty and two being students. And uh, the conclusion was, no, they weren't really that great. But um, But everybody's got one. But yeah. You know, they're affordable and they have decent gas mileage. So the thing about being on the Viking Voice for a few years is you kind of learn what what kids are going to read 
and what people are going to want to read. The Pontiac article wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really a hit. It no, was, people it was, didn't find that interesting. It was, it was more fun to, to write than it was to read. I also uh, wrote an article about um, gerrymandering. And uh, that's something high schoolers love to read about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone read it. So, it, you know, it's it comes with experience finding what um, like people want to read. I've I've written a lot of duds, but, but yeah. Well, and, and sometimes you have to write for you, too. Like you have to right. write the stuff that you find interesting and hope that there's mm -hmm. an audience for it rather than, you know, trying to just write to your audience. Now, right. that being said, uh, what types of stories do you find are popular and successful with the student base? Interviews are really popular. Um, and, uh, getting teachers input is, is always really popular. We had a, an interview last month that was just a huge hit and it was just kind of like a parody of, uh, Vogue's 73 questions. And it was for one of our math teachers, Mr. Hare. And it was just <laughs> so many random questions and it was just beautifully executed and it, it was hilarious. Um, have you guys ever gotten to the bottom of whether teachers live at the school or if they have homes outside <laughs> that they go to? Yeah, we're working well, on that story they right definitely, now. There is a trailer park installed outside of Gibraltar yeah, now, awesome. so it's very possible. Very cool. What about you? What are some of your highlight stories? Last year, I wrote a story that was really important to me about the new appointee, the female appointees on the Supreme Court. Yes. Probably another one of those stories that was not really, really popular. A lot of people might not have enjoyed reading it, but it was wonderful for me to write it because it was a really, seemed like a really wonderful moment to capture in a article. And uh, I really enjoy anything political, which again, not always the most popular, uh, but if you do it right, if you, there's a way to hook the student's interest. And I, that's my favorite thing to do is get students interested in global political issues or political issues in the United States that they might see a headline somewhere else and think, oh, that's so boring. Right. I don't want to read about that. Well, and I, I think students are getting more and more interested in that kind of stuff uh, nowadays. I remember the first time I've, I've worked with the Gibraltar students with the, the musicals every year for the past four years. And my first year there, I just remember listening to them talking in the green room and being like, wow, students are so much more woke nowadays than I was when I was in high school. And it's like, you guys really are keyed into what's going on in the world in a way that even I wasn't six years ago or seven years ago. And I, and I don't think newspapers are the, <laughs> are the cause of that. Well, watch what you say or David Elliott's going to bust <laughs> through the wall yeah. and he'll have something to say about that. But, uh, you know, you guys are really keyed in. And the fact that you're able to write about the not only just Door County, but the community beyond that and global politics is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the really wonderful things about the Viking Voice is that it's in print. And we we have physical copies of our newspaper that our the, the student body can pick up, and that's due to the Viking or to the Peninsula Pulse. Yeah, I was gonna that, say, watch what you say, David. It's gonna bust <laughs> through the wall with praise. Yes, and but I think that's the really wonderful part about the Viking Voice. A lot of schools don't have the ability to print a whole physical copy of their newspaper. It's online, but there's something special about unfolding your newspaper right. and reading your articles and reading other people's articles. Well, and having it available too, like if I had to go online to read the newspaper in high school, I don't know that I would have. But having it just around on campus all day, that definitely gets me to pick it up because it's there and it's available. And if I, you know, have nothing else going on, but there's a paper next to me, I'm going to read that rather than going online and actually trying to keep up with it every month. Absolutely. And it kind of, it kind of makes me feel like I'm um, keeping that alive, like we're, we're keeping the, the paper in print and it's wonderful just to have that. 
Awesome. The other great thing about the Viking Voice that I don't know if a lot of other uh, student newspapers can say is that we're completely independently funded. We've avoided in the past uh, having any association with a school besides reporting on it and expressing opinions on it. So we do all of our ad sales and we completely fund our newspaper, which is something I think we should be totally proud of. Uh, well, and I think it's indicative, too, of living in a community that really cares about education and really cares about what you guys are doing at the school. So that's really cool to hear. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming in and chatting with me this week. This was awesome to to hear about the, the stuff that is so familiar to me working here at The Pulse, but also getting your perspective on it uh, and hearing what you guys are actually doing over there is, is really cool and eye-opening for me. So thank you so much for coming in. And I look forward to uh, checking out your guys' work as we go along this year. Yeah, thank sure you. thing. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at DoorCountyPulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. <laughs>